Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. Today we'll be actually reading uh, three different passages for our scripture reading. So I'm going to kind of give them to you now so you can kind of thumb your way uh, to those three passages and we'll read them together here in just a moment. Uh, the first passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, then Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. So today we continue into our three-week series answering the question of who I am in Christ. And this, this question of identity, we're going to spend last week, this week, and next week, this question of identity is far more important than we realize. It, the importance of answering this question of who I am in Christ cannot be understated. And today I'm going to read three different passages of Scripture, but what I want, I'm going to read all three of them back to back to back. And as I read, I want you to try to figure out what they all have in common. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in Him. For as many are, as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Therefore also, through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and gave us the Spirit of God in our hearts as a pledge. Ephesians 1. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 4 verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put aside, along with all malice, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as Jesus in Christ has forgiven you. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reminder of your grace, how ceaseless it is. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, and how it instructs us and it gives us the promises that you have granted to us and unfolds the truth and the doctrine that we need to hear on a daily basis. And Lord, I pray for this morning that we would not be distracted by anything else, but Lord, that we would be captivated by your word and that your Holy Spirit would take your scripture into our lives and transform our hearts and our minds and our feet to take it to the ends of the earth. Lord, forgive us our many faults. Lord, I pray that the shame of sin would evaporate underneath your grace and your love for us. Lord, remind us today of your love and your power and your grace to us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I already mentioned, today is part two. As I stated last week, for three weeks, so last week, this week, and next week, I want to be your spiritual optometrist. I want to be your spiritual eye doctor, so to speak. I want to prescribe the one thing, the exact thing that you need to see the world correctly. 
So for the next three weeks, the glasses that I'm prescribing to you are the lens of your identity in Christ. The question we answer is, who am I now in Christ? Because of the gospel, how does the gospel in Jesus Christ transform my identity and transform the way I see the world? Who am I in Christ? If you were here last week, then you know that we are, that I am a new creation. That because of Christ, I am a new creation, so I should see myself, others, and my mission in this world as new. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we uh, unpacked last week, but I'm just going to read the truth that is found in these verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us, brought us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, because they were paid in full on the cross. Can I get an amen? And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, therefore we are his ambassadors, as though God were making an appeal through us. We, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteous of God in him. Who am I in Christ? I am a new creation. But in churches, we often speak of how the gospel saves me, but not how the gospel changes me. Today, I want to talk about your permanence. One of the most important changes that happen at the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ through the gospel, one of the most important changes that takes place can be demonstrated in chemistry. Now I would imagine all of you are probably wondering what this is up here, and I would imagine all of you have been kind of a little bit antsy to figure this out, and you probably all figured out that it's going to be in my sermon somewhere and somehow, and I would... I'm just going to say something really quick that I know about this much of chemistry, and there are many of you that know about this much of chemistry, okay? I have taken one class in chemistry in my entire life, and it was called Applied Chemistry. It was in high school at Grissom, and I, I've stated already I slept more in high school than I actually paid attention. And it was called Applied Chemistry, but really what it was was Chemistry for Slackers, okay? So <laughs> I'm sorry if you took that class, but that was just the interpretation that I gave. They said, okay, Byron, you know, okay, you probably shouldn't take chemistry regularly. You should take this Applied Chemistry. Okay, sure. Uh, that was what I did. Okay. So, but I, re- I really don't remember much about that class. Uh, truthfully speaking, like I said, I slept more than I actually paid attention But I do remember one thing in particular. I remember a chemical reaction. The idea of a chemical reaction, a chemical reaction can be something huge or it can be something subtle. It can be something huge like an explosion or it can be something subtle like rust developing on the bottom side of your car. Or it can be like this. Don't worry, deacons, I won't spill that. Okay. So that is, a, that is a chemical reaction. What happens when two chemicals combine in this manner? Two things, that there is a change of, of state, there is a permanent change, but also there is a byproduct. If you notice, it bubbled up to the surface. So there is both a permanent change and a byproduct of that change. So when a chemical reaction happens, there, when you combine the two substances together, they change in a state, and they become one becomes permanent, and there is also a byproduct of that change in permanence. 
A chemical reaction is an example of what happens to you when you believe in Jesus Christ. That when you come and when you meet your Savior, Christ Jesus, when the two combine through the gospel, that there is a permanent change that happens. But there's also byproducts of that change that occur that many of us sometimes fail to even see that at the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, there is a state of permanence, a permanent bond to Christ Jesus, but there's also a byproduct of that change that happens. Today I want to discuss with you the permanence of your salvation. We also call that eternal security, or once saved, always saved. But the question is, is can you lose your salvation, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've truly trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, can you ever lose that? Amen. <laughs> but, but then the next question is, what about passages? You know, I, there's a lot of confusion on this issue. What are the passages in Hebrews chapter 6, or John chapter 10, or, or 1 John seems to suggest otherwise? So as a believer in Jesus Christ, can you ever lose your salvation? That is the question, and that is our quest this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn there again to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will see the permanence of our salvation. But this, this uh, issue, this topic of eternal security is something that, I, uh, that is actually quite personal to me. Uh, perhaps you have wrestled with it like I have throughout your years of being a Christian. But in college, I was in a college small group with some other college students, and, and we began to wrestle with this issue of eternal security. As a matter of fact, we were going through the book of Hebrews, and the teacher, the leader of that small group, took Hebrews chapter 6 to affirm that they can lose their salvation. So, it, man, I, re, I remember like it was yesterday. It's been 15 years ago. But I remember just ping-ponging back and forth. Can I lose my salvation? Is it truly permanent? And I grew up here at Calvary Bible Church. I always heard one particular side of the equation. But I remember just wrestling with that, and I remember it was like a scorched earth policy. The, the, the verses that I read this morning really illumined and gave me my answer. And the answer that I found 15 years ago is the answer I give to that question of, can I lose my salvation, is the answer I give to you. So to really introduce the issue of our permanence of our salvation, can we lose our salvation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread the verses that I read earlier, and then I'm going to unpack 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what these passages have in common. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are, yes, therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Ephesians 1. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. And Ephesians chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What do all three of these passages have in common? There is one theme that runs throughout them. 
First Corinthians, who has also sealed us and gave us a spirit in our heart as a pledge. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us as a pledge of our inheritance. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What do all three of these have in common? It says that we were sealed into God by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a pledge. So the question is this, who am I in Christ? I am permanently secure for salvation to God. Who am I in Christ? I am permanently sealed or secured for salvation. That at the moment you believe in Christ Jesus, you are at that moment permanently sealed to salvation. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, at the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for salvation to God. That there is nothing that you can do to break the bond of the Holy Spirit. It's sealed. You know, it cannot be any clearer in these three verses that we are sealed. By who? By God. God Himself, that the Holy Spirit has sealed us for salvation and has given Himself as a pledge for our redemption. We'll unpack what that means here in just a moment. But God Himself has sealed your redemption, that your salvation is secure, that no matter what you do, no matter the sin that you have, after you're sealed, you cannot lose what has been promised to you. Who am I in Christ? I am permanently secured for salvation. Notice verse 21 again. We'll unpack it a bit more. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ, notice kind of who is doing all of this. And anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. I want to kind of unpack those two words, sealed and pledge. The word sealed here in verse 22 really shows our permanence. It's the Greek word, now this was tough for me to say, sphragizo. Okay, say that one three times fast. Sphragizo. And it, but it, but it, what it refers to is in this culture is a signet ring seal. In this culture, speaking, they didn't have a way to encrypt files okay, that we would send in an email. But what they did to make sure that the, the receiver of the letter knew who sent it, and number two, that it was sealed, it wasn't tampered with, is that in this culture they would melt wax and they pour it over the opening of the envelope. Then the sender of that letter would take his signet ring, which was essentially his signature unique to him. He would take that signet ring and push it into the melted wax. And it did two things. It showed a mark of ownership. That signet ring was unique to the sender. And number two, when the person received it, after traveling across the entire Roman Empire, if the letter was still sealed, what did the person know? That the letter was not tampered with. So uh, let me put it in 21st century context. Okay, So when you go to your mailbox, okay, and you get a letter that is written to you, Okay, that, that is actually something special, amen? Okay, like we all get bills in the mail. I do, and I hate those. But if I ever get a letter in the mail, it's kind of something cool and new. What's the first thing I look at? I look at who sent it to me, but then I also look at the back to see if its seal is still there. It's the same principle here that the Holy Spirit is giving us his mark of ownership that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are sealed for the day of redemption. He's giving us our mark of ownership and making sure that our soul is secure until the redemption of Christ Jesus. But then let's talk about that word pledge, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and, he, and the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge. The Greek word there for pledge is the Greek word arabona, 
which means down payment. So if you ever bought a house, if you ever had a mortgage, why do you do a down payment? It is a guarantee that you will pay your loan, that if you don't pay it, you lose that down payment. The Holy Spirit seals us and also is our pledge guaranteeing that we will be secure until the day of redemption. So put it all together with me, that you, in a sense, are the letter that is placed inside the envelope of salvation that was bought by the precious blood of Christ. That you were placed into the envelope of the gospel that was placed there by Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes at the moment that you are saved. He places his signet ring seal with his mark of ownership on your soul and guarantees that one day you will see the day of redemption that is promised. Who am I in Christ that at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am permanently secure for salvation through the seal and guarantee of the Spirit? But how am I sealed? Do you notice something very unique in First Second Corinthians chapter 1? I want you to just notice how many persons of the Godhead are at play here. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our heart as a pledge. Notice here that the work of the Trinity is here to seal your soul in the gospel and to guarantee its full arrival. Did you notice that? So he establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit. So in Christ our soul was purchased. In the Father we were chosen. In the Spirit we were sealed. As my mentor, Pastor Gary, used to say, he was the pastor here before I was, he said what? That we were chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit. The Trinity's work to save and redeem my broken life is seen here, that in Christ, in his death, my soul was purchased, I was chosen by the Father, and I was sealed and delivered, guaranteed delivery by the Spirit of God. So my kind of complete point today is this, who am I in Christ? That in Christ I am permanently secured for salvation to God through the seal and guarantee of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this before I really got started, but I, today's sermon was going to be far more theological than probably I've preached in a very, very long time, okay? It's just it's super theological, kind of theological on the salvation and the gospel which we have. But now that I'm guaranteed, now that I'm included into the family of God, what now do I have? That at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, that the moment that my soul was placed into the envelope of the gospel that was purchased by Christ, sealed by the Spirit, and chosen by the Father, at the moment that my life is placed inside of salvation, at that moment, what do I now have? At that moment, what now do I have? Not only do I have eternal life, but as, as I've been going through the Gospel of John, I now have abundant life, but even kind of more than that. What do I have? I have God's inseparable love. Romans eight twenty nine through 38. 
For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he also not freely give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That who am I in Christ? I am permanently secure. That at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, I am secure, but I also have God's inseparable love. But what else do I have? I have God's salvation assurance that the Holy Spirit is given to me as a pledge. He is our down payment, our personal guarantee that God's redemption and our glorification is 100% assured. The seal and pledge of the Spirit is our personal assurance that our full redemption and a new heaven and new earth and glorification to come is coming, certainly. So what do I now have that I'm sealed? God's inseparable love, His 100% assurance of my salvation, and then number three, I possess God's promises that at the moment I believe that I'm placed inside the envelope in the gospel not only is Christ the payment for my sin not only was his blood poured over as the doorpost of my soul but now I have a high priest who can sympathize with my weaknesses I have the Holy Spirit interceding on my behalf I can now approach the throne of grace for a time of need I now possess God's inseparable love I am adopted I am I have an inheritance, a co-heir with Christ, and I promise that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those called according to His purpose. Who am I in Christ? In Christ, I am permanently secured for salvation to God, the seal and guarantee of the Spirit. But is that true? Is it true that I am sealed permanently? That once I am saved, I am always saved? That I can do nothing to lose it. You know, there are many, many denominations, big ones, that, that teach that, that you can lose your salvation. That if you're not really a good person, or if you continue in sin, or if you stop believing, or you walk away, that you can lose your salvation. There are some theologians that teach that you can lose your salvation. There are even passages, as I've already mentioned, that there are some passages that seem to suggest that I can lose the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So what is the question? Can a true believer ever lose their salvation by either, cease, by either sinning or ceasing to believe? You are permanently sealed. Is that true? Evidence number one, you are permanently sealed. Evidence number one is the scripture itself. Second Corinthians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4, they all say that we are sealed by God himself. So wait a second. Am I sealed or am I not sealed? Am I sealed by myself and my works or am I sealed by God himself? Think about the letter that is inside the envelope. Of, uh, inside the envelope. Can that letter do anything in and of itself to escape that envelope? No, it's trapped, so to speak, that we as Christians, because we are sealed by God himself, what can we do to ever escape? If I do nothing to earn salvation, what can I do to lose salvation? Who am I in Christ? I am permanently secured for salvation. 
this is a wrestling match in a lot of denominations, but it really shouldn't be because it's pretty clear that God himself makes sure that we are saved. I am permanently sealed. Evidence number one is the scripture, but evidence number two is if is, is just in the idea of salvation itself. That if I do nothing to earn salvation, then what can I do to lose salvation? If you do nothing to earn salvation, then what can you do to lose it? To tell you a quick story, that line, if I do nothing to earn it, then what can I do to lose it? That line came to me. I was uh, sitting in nukes on the airport in Whitesburg, if you know where I'm at, and I still remember the booth that I was in like six years ago. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was sitting across the table from this, from this young man, probably about my age, who went to my church at the time, and I, and I just, he started talking to me about how he thought he could lose his salvation, but he grew up what? He grew up Church of Christ, which believe essentially that you can lose your salvation. If you continue to sin, they stop believing that somehow you can lose the sealing of God himself. But sorry, moving on. Okay. But then I said to him that if you do nothing to earn it, then what can you do to lose it? And he didn't really have much of a response. But what's the problem with his idea? That, that really, if you really boil down some denominations and some beliefs, that I think most people would say that you have to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved, but really speaking, there has to be some good works to kind of go along with them. There should be, but works are not required for you to be saved. If we have to earn our salvation, then why did Jesus die on the cross? The cross itself proves that we cannot earn it. That if we could earn heaven on our own good works, then why did Jesus Christ die? The fact that he died, he was buried, he was raised again, confirms to us today that there is nothing we can do to earn salvation. That it is a gift by the grace of God. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not by works. Why? So that we cannot boast. If we do nothing to earn salvation, then what can we do to lose salvation? You are permanently sealed. Evidence number one, the Bible itself. Evidence number two, if you do nothing to earn it, then what can you do to lose it? And then evidence number three is logic. Is logic. I didn't, I didn't figure this out until I went to seminary, but really theological doctrine, teaching, is really one part philosophy and one part biblical exegesis. It is one part logic and is one part biblical exegesis. And logic alone tells me that I cannot lose my salvation after I have believed. That once I believe in him, I am permanently secured for salvation. I, I, just, okay. I just want you to think about Romans 8 alone. You tracking with me? I want you to think about Romans 8 alone. Logically speaking... What happens at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ? Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now 
No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number one, I am no longer condemned for my sin. That at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, logically speaking, that at that moment, all of a sudden, now I'm no longer condemned for my sin. Number two, I'm set free from the chains of sin and death. Number three, I'm led by the Spirit. Number four, I'm a son of God. Number five, I am adopted. Number six, I'm an heir of God. Number seven, I have hope in suffering. And number eight, we possess God's inseparable love. So logically speaking, at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, I am secure. But if I lose my salvation, then what about all these? What are all of the promises? Are all those all of a sudden void? I mean, think about it. I mean, it's like, at the moment I believe in Jesus, it says in Romans 8 that I am adopted as his child. But if I lose my salvation, am I all of a sudden not a child? Am I not adopted? Am I... What if I sin? Am I, what if I make mistakes? Am I all of a sudden not God's heir, co-heir with Christ? That at the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, we have all of these promises that are given to us. How could we go back on any of those? It makes no sense. That's logic. I mean, imagine the gospel. Just, just play a role play with me. Imagine with me. That you could lose your salvation, but you have all of these promises. But you could lose your salvation, that if you sin, that you're going to lose it. Or if you stop believing, you're going to lose it, right? How cruel would it be to read Romans 8? That I'm adopted? No, I'm not adopted. I'm adopted. I'm an heir. I'm not an heir. I don't have God's love. I mean, what if, imagine my child, my four-year-old. What if every time she ever messed up, I just kicked her out of the house? Oh, you're my child, but not anymore. Oh, you're my child, not anymore. That child will be living in the backyard, okay, in a tent. It's like every day she messes up. And that's just, it's okay, she's four. We're all broken, amen? Just logically speaking, how could we ever lose it? Because the promises of God are given to us at the moment we believe. How cruel would it be from God to let us lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it? But then the final question is this. What about those who walk away? Right? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you've known Christians that start on the narrow road and fall off when the first trial comes their way or when great difficulty comes. What about all of those people? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you've known people that seem sincere in their faith they appear to be like a firework that appears bright at one moment and then disappears at the next. I have known so many people that have started the path of Christianity, that have seemingly believed in Christ Jesus as their Savior, but then they walk away, acting as if they never believed in the first place. What about those people? Two possibilities. Somebody who looks like they're walking the Christian life and fall away, there's two possibilities for what is really going on. Number one possibility, that they were never saved to begin with. Or number two, that they are hardening their heart and God is chasing them to come back. So either they have, were never saved to begin with or God is chastening them to return. Case number one for those who walk away, for those that were probably never saved to begin with. Uh, Laurel and I, my wife, who is 
Uh, we are about to bring in my fourth child. To, I'm not about to bring in my wife. It's about to bring in our fourth child to the world, okay? Uh, I'm just the uh, dad. Anyway, just stand there, okay? Uh, and I just love my children. Um, we ha- talk about on a somewhat regular basis of how all of these people that we grew up with in college and a lot of the people that were even here in the youth group at Calvary Bible Church, how a lot of them have walked away from the Lord. And then that leaves the question, what were they? Were they truly Christians or have they hardened their heart to the Lord? I've known so many young people, especially, that go to college and are all wrapped up in Christianity and then all of a sudden, it's just like they never knew God. But as I look back at college and all of these people, I think a lot of it was just this emotional Christianity. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being emotional for God. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to be emotional for God. Let's not be so overwhelmed with our mind and our emotions that we're robots toward Jesus Christ. What does it say in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37? It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your emotions, knowledge, and actions. That emotions are part of truly being a Christian and part of being in love with the Lord. It's part of it. We should be emotional. We should raise our hands on Sunday morning. Sorry. Uh, we should be emotional. But oftentimes, people pro- prop up godliness in their sanctification solely on emotion. And often, people get caught in the trap of emotionalism. And emotionalism is a sign of spiritual maturity, but only being emotional for God is not the only sign of godliness. Someone who props up their spiritual maturity solely upon emotion is like a redwood tree. They look great and tall and mighty, but when wind comes and their shallow roots, they blow over. We must have all three. Help you hear me out. I'm not saying emotionalism for God is a bad thing. I'm saying that we need to be emotional, we must be knowledgeable, and we must also serve the Lord. So the possibility for those who walk away that seem to be Christians at one time, possibility number one are those that were never saved, and possibility number two are those who are hardened. I'm thinking about the characters of the Bible. Think about people like David and like Abraham and like Peter. They were believers. Did they lose their salvation? Think about David himself. He had an affair with Bathsheba and then it was a year before the consequences of Nathan comes in. He says, you are the man. It has been a year. In that year, do you think David lost his salvation? I doubt it. Okay? Probably what happened is he was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Think about Peter. When he had betrayed the Lord three times, did he lose his salvation? No, he was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Think about all of the saints we have known. I believe some of them, some of the people that have walked away from God, from the gospel, are just hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That the shepherd, the good shepherd, would leave the 99 to chasten the one. The saints that are true believers that have walked away, the true saints, the true believers, are always going to be chastened and disciplined and be pulled back to the Lord. Who am I in Christ? In Christ I am permanently secured for salvation to God through the seal and guarantee of the Spirit. 
And those Christians that walk away were either never saved themselves or God is chastening them. There's a... Um, there is someone in my life that I dearly love, and uh, he, in college, he, I believe, truly came to Christ, and he believed in him, and he was on fire, man. He was at church every time the doors were open, and he raised his kids and the admonition and, the, you know, the Bible and sent, sent people to Christian schools and all this kind of stuff, went to church. But then life got hard. You know, he went through financial troubles. He went through a marital issue. He went through kid issues. He went through job issues. It was all within like a span of 10 years. Okay, that this person who was truly saved all went through just horrible trials and circumstances and he just kind of walked away from it all. I don't, I don't know if he's come to church more than six times in, his, in the last 20 years. But me knowing him as well as I do, I see the Holy Spirit chastening him and disciplining him and pulling him back to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That is one of the reasons why I know that person is a true believer is because I see the Spirit of God annoying him, chastening him, pulling him back. As someone else in my life says that he has quit Christianity 25 times and every time the Lord calls him back. You cannot lose what has been guaranteed. You cannot lose what has been paid for in full. You cannot lose something on merit when we did not gain it on merit. When you believe in Jesus Christ, if and when you truly believe in Him as your Savior, you are permanently sealed. You can never lose God's limitless love. You are assured that the day of redemption will come. This sermon is probably one of my more theological that I've done in a long time, probably since Romans 9, 10, and 11. But then the question is, okay, how, how does this, how does the idea of once saved, always saved, how does that really shape Today, something 2,000 years later, how does this idea of my permanence in Christ Jesus, eternal security, change my life today? I'd like to share with you an observation on life. And this week in staff meeting, on Tuesday, I was just brought up the idea. And I asked them how many have ever worked with middle school students. You know, if you think about middle school, it's a really awkward time. (laughs) <laughs> I gotta chuckle. So it's a really awkward time because some 13 year olds have like beards and some 13 year olds still squeak, okay? It's just this weird time of life. And I asked them so, I asked the staff the question, how, how many of you have ever known a middle school student that does not have a very secure household? How do they act? Compared to the middle school student that has a very secure and stable and loving household, how do they act in return? As some of you know, in Dallas, I was an inner city youth minister, and I estimated that 75% of my students that, had, that came to that ministry, 75% of those kids did not live with both mom and dad, and I estimated that 25% of those students never even met their father. Their home, to say the least, was unstable, insecure. Sometimes they went hungry. I had a a young girl, I think she was probably in sixth grade at the time, she came up to me after, after, you know, the youth ministry time with these inner city kids, and she came up to me and she said to me, Byron, we have no food in the home. 
What did I do? Of course, I went and bought food for them. But the, the instability of their home, this insecurity, the fact that they didn't know where their next meal was coming from, they didn't know if they had love and their, their parents' love. They didn't know their father to give them their sense of value and identity. They didn't have that security, so they acted as such. They would struggle to obey me in leadership. They were very typically insecure, bullying, stealing but then I became a youth pastor here in Huntsville, Alabama to very kids, to kids who had both parents at home who were very secure. It was complete night and day difference, but it had nothing to do with money, it had nothing to do with intelligence, it had nothing to do with opportunity. It all had to do with their home and the security that they had. Those that are secure in Christ Jesus, those that know that they are sealed permanently by the Holy Spirit, those that truly know that act one way, and those that believe they can lose it act a whole other way. Those that are securely in Christ and know that are not paranoid, they're more confident, more secure, less timid. And a Christian who struggles with the idea of losing their salvation Back in college, when I was ping-ponging back and forth, I was a little bit paranoid back then, and I was wondering what I had to do to lose it. Knowing that you are permanently sealed, that you have a Heavenly Father that is holding you until the day of redemption, knowing that really shapes your life in three main ways. And I'm going to give them to you. This is the application section of your notes. Because I am permanently sealed, number one, that we should be confident, number two, be brave, and number three, be bold. That we should be confident in who we are, that we are loved, secured, blessed. That we should be brave. Think about this idea, that there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. So how does that change my relationship with the Lord? That instead of hiding my sin out of fear of Him rejecting me out of eternal life, instead of acting out of anxiety and fear, who do I really have at the helm? I have a loving Father that if I come to Him and confess my sins to Him, that He will wash them clean. That when we sin, if we truly believe we are secure, that we should be brave to approach the throne of grace in times of need. That when we make mistakes, that when we sin... But then number three, it shapes that our boldness, that we should be bold to share the gospel. To not hide behind fear and anxiety, which we all struggle with. But that because we are secure in our salvation to God, we should then tell people, because there's nothing we can do to escape the power and limitless love of our great Heavenly Father. In Christ, you are permanently secure for salvation to God through the sealing and guarantee of the Spirit. That is who you are in Christ. If you do not know Christ Jesus, if you are not inside of the seal of salvation, if you've never truly believed and surrendered your life, or maybe you're one of those people that thought you were saved and you've been struggling, teetering, and you don't really know if you ever were saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He gives you the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. That if you believe in Him, that you will be saved. But I'm going to put another bug in your ear. I don't really talk about this all this often, and I'm working on it. That if you've come to Christ in the last year or two, if you've never been baptized, 
then I would encourage you to be baptized, to proclaim to the world that you are changed and that you are God's and that you are sealed. If you've never been baptized, I would encourage you to come see me in the hallway, to take the next step of faith, the next step of obedience in your Christian life. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, your grace and your love and your truth. Uh, Lord, I, I know that today was a little bit more theological, a little bit heavier than I normally go. Uh, but Lord, I just, um, I, you know, I just pray that we would walk out confident. That there is nothing we can do to escape your love and power. I pray that we would walk out confident and that we would be brave to approach you when we make mistakes and to have your forgiveness for our sin. And Lord, I pray that we would also be bold. The fact that we have security of our home in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be confident and bold to share the gospel with our life, our love, and our deeds. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that we would uh, live it out. That we would love your word and that it would change our lives and not just something that we know. I thank you for today. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.